I'm John Firth. Welcome to the seventh broadcast to my series, Owning Tomorrow. Can you hear me now? This is the second of two broadcasts with my friend, Larry Rhinus, about how we can improve our way of communicating almost instantaneously. The first podcast, Creating a Space for Listening, was about becoming a master listener who not only hears what is being said, but also creates the space to understand and considers how their own personal filters and that of the speaker can color what they're hearing. Today, Larry and I will take the same basic three-part structure and apply it to the other side, speaking. In one-to-one conversations, as well as in meetings and group settings. How to speak in such a way that you will be literally heard, recognize how the person or persons you are talking to are receiving the information while adjusting accordingly so you will not just be heard, but also understood. Good afternoon, Larry. Good afternoon, John. Thank you for having me on again. It was a great conversation last go. Last time. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. We'll have a great one today as well. Looking forward. Me too. So I have a question for you. How often do you get frustrated that you don't seem to be getting through to someone you are talking to? I know in my case, I would say about 20% of the time I don't feel. So 80% of the time I am getting through when I'm in a one-to-one situation. When it comes to a meeting, it's probably only about 60% that I get through to people um, because, you know, in a setting, in, in, a, in a meeting, often you can't clarify points the way you want to. But in a group setting, especially at a cocktail party, I would say that goes down to 30 or 40% of me actually getting through and having a conversation. What about yourself? Wow, um, that's a great way to look at it. Um, there, there are just times when I, when I feel like I'm, I'm talking. I think I'm mostly successful when I speak to people, because um, it's to them, not at them. Again, with that very important distinction. And when I'm not, it, man, it's it is frustrating. It's probably twenty percent. I think your number's correct. And obviously, mm-hmm. the more people there are, the less effective you are. Um, man, it, it, it's it's challenging when you're talking. And you, you're not, your message isn't coming across, mm-hmm. and you know it's not the words you're using, right? right. So you, you don't know like what do I have to do to get my message across because it's not verbal. <laughs> There's right. something more than that. So I, I and um, I don't re- always know the answer, and that's that is it does leave you frustrated. Well, hopefully we'll have some answers today, but in the moments where you don't feel you're being listened to, um, what sort of things do you do? Um, well, so I, you know, I have a go-to. My go-to is, well, let me, let me change my message to a simpler message, a simpler, actually it's the delivery is, is simpler and the words are simpler. And I think, you know, when I used to uh, train a bunch of people in customer service, nothing meant to be condescending. I would say to them, when you're explaining a process or you're talking to someone about what you would like them to do, speak to them as though they're a third grader. You don't know what they know or what they don't know. And you'll find out as you're talking if you can increase the the grade level of your of your conversation and it and i found you know you just work backwards or 
it, it's it, so yeah. If it's so funny to say that because when I was a consultant and I've always worked in the C-suite, one of the things I learned early on, I said to all of the people who worked for me and who I was sort of bringing up in training, talk to a CEO as if he's a, a third grader. That's what I, actually, I said three years old. I said, because these guys have tons of things in their head. For the most part, they hire us because they can't make the change or even discern the changes that they have to make in their organization. So they're only listening, they're listening with a gargantuan filter already because of the fears and so forth. So I said, the best you can do is simplify, simplify your message to very basic concepts. You know, technical language doesn't necessarily work with CEOs because they're not in the weeds technically. They're, they're constantly watching out for the organization, for, for revenue and what have you, uh, profitability. So it's interesting you say that. I would say in general, we have a rule, which is talk to people like their kids if you really wanna get through to them. It's not condescending at all because some of the topics are complicated and sort of like what Mark Twain said, it's easy to write a novel. It's very hard to write one page. Right. In the process of simplifying it, you're also making your message much clearer to the person you're talking to. So you, you brought up a great point. So if I, if I could just come back at you with, mm -hmm. you brought up the filter, that people listen with a filter. Right. And so what is it that, when do you recognize that there's a filter and or when your message is being filtered? Well, first one is the eyes glaze over. The first thing is the connection. Yeah. And I'm talking about one to one, but also I'm talking about uh, in meetings, group settings. I always think of a group settings being a cocktail party where because I'm tall, looking at a person's eyes sometimes requires me going like that. So but in meetings, as in, in fact, meetings, it's easier to establish eye contact because, you know, there's no sort of nervousness, you're far enough away. And it, it is that much more important. So the, the eye contact, it tells me 90% of what's going on. If the eyes glaze over, uh, my first feeling is, why are you not listening to me? As, in other words, it's your problem, um, not mine. In a meeting, I find it easier because it usually has something to do with my energy level, has to do with the topic I'm talking about, but most often it's probably because I'm not talking at the right level. I'm not using easy to understand uh, words. One-to-one, -one, I find it harder. Um, it's, um, oh God, it's still in the eyes. I'm trying to think if there's anything really telltale. Well, of course, if they want clarifying, uh, if they ask clarifying questions and I find that they're like basic, like they haven't even heard what I've said, but I will tell you, there's one trick to get people to understand, and that's to reverse it and not talk at them, but to answer as have them answer questions. There have been studies done that says that when you ask an employer a question about something you want them to do, they'll retain 70% of the conversation. If you simply tell them what to do, they'll only re remember 30% of the conversation. Most likely they won't actually do what you ask them to do. So you mentioned three things, which is really interesting. The first one that came out happens to be, so the filter obviously is, is emotional or mental. And you brought up a physical characteristic or a physical act trait that's gonna, that gives you an indication. And then you go to the verbal commands. That verbal is after that. And then it's um, understanding. Yeah, right? well, well, making sure they, they, they understand it by... Forcing them to mirroring, question. Possibly mirroring. Well, yeah, mirroring if they're that advanced or 
I mean, it depends on who you're talking to, too. Right. But uh, the question, I mean, a well non-defensive making question, just an open-ended question like, um, I mean, I often say, did you get what I just said? As in, I may not, I, I always sort of make it, that try and make them feel like maybe I didn't make myself clear. So I just want to make sure. But, uh, you know, there's certain questions you ask that make people defensive, like why? So why weren't you listening? It's probably the worst thing you can possibly ask, unless you're just really ready to either fire the employee or get a divorce or something. Um, that's about the worst question you can ask if you notice somebody's not really paying attention. Right. Yeah. So, uh, to, so you, it is, it probably is effective. What did you hear me say? Can you tell me what you thought you heard? Is that, is that the way you would put? Oh, no, that's, that's one short of why. No, it would be something like, um, I mean, I ask, um, I have a virtual assistant. He's, um, I think he's in Belarus or Ukraine and his English is fine, but the connection is not always good. And there are times when, especially early on, when you're not sure if he totally gets what you want to do and some of it's complicated. I'll just ask him, so are you clear? Are you clear on what we just discussed? Or do you have any questions? That's really a, a non-defensive way. And then it gives them the space, speaking space, to, um, without making themselves look bad, to say, okay, let me make sure I got this. Um, if they're possessed enough, you know, if they're not defensive, that's already gonna be a problem. But yeah, I try to make it as innocuous as possible, unless I'm getting really frustrated or unless this person is definitely like on his way out or her way out. What would you say to some, you know, so there's, a, there's a, it's interesting because we're talking from a position where the speaker has the strength. So with the advent of uh, this imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, talking becomes challenging for some and what we, right there, they're not comfortable. So they're not going to speak forcefully. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to give it the, the physical effort as well as the mm -hmm. emotional effort because of unsurety. What would you share to, with, with those folks? Well, first of all, if they're a CEO, then that could be a problem. Um, but, you know, imposter syndrome, if we can call it that among CEOs is very, very high. Um, and actually, I think what I've discovered is if you focus on how they're communicating and help them, often their confidence starts to build up as they see the effects. But, um, you know, coming back to the three part um, uh, structure, you know, it starts with what I call good vocal technique. Um, and, you know, it's often something technical and tips and so forth already starts to make people feel better about themselves and more confident. So for example, um, I just showed you before we started that um, you have to have an open throat. A lot of this I took when I was uh, studying singing um, <clears throat> and that's what I just did there was wrong because you're slapping your vocal cords together. But if you're oh, almost yawn, oh, it slowly opens up the throat. And with that, you're relaxing. You know, you need to have a relaxed jaw so you can, your jaw hang. Um, uh, uh, you obviously have to enunciate, but first you have to get the airflow going. So this is now opening and relaxing the, the mouthpiece, if you will, and the, the, the pipe. And then you just need to start making sure you're, you're breathing. And the great thing about breathing, even a few nice sort of meditative breaths before you go on stage or have a conversation, difficult conversation, or go into a meeting that you're going to have to deliver a message that you're not comfortable with, the breathing actually calms you down. But more importantly, it gets that connection. The air coming in goes all the way down to your breathing apparatus, which again, your lungs hold it, but it's your stomach that controls it and then brings it out. And that begins to also relax you. 
And then the mouthpiece has to work. And that's the enunciation. And I can't emphasize it enough. I have a lazy mouth. <laughs> when I'm tired, it gets worse. But if you enunciate, also one of the things is you prepare the voice out. By doing that, you create a louder sound. Now you can't hear it physically because of the way our head is built. But uh, the active act of enunciating will make it sure that you're heard. So this is the first part. You just wanna make sure you're heard. Mm -hmm. And again, as I say, in cocktail parties, I, I can't hear myself. Um, I start doing everything wrong. I cleanse, uh, clen uh, clamp my throat. I stop breathing and then it becomes worse. What about yourself? What do you do? Or what, what's your understanding of trying to be heard? You know, it's really, it's, so that's, it's great. And um, I'm like flat, uh, flat footed, just listening to the, the, the physical preparation and of deliberate speaking. So mm -hmm. um, deliberate is the word, by the way, I don't do this a lot. I don't do it nearly enough. So it is deliberate. I mean, it is a discipline that you kind of have to. Uh, yeah. But, well, that's what it is. And I'm, I'm, that's why I say I'm flat footed because I don't think I prepare that way. I probably go more through the emotional and I, and when it, when I know I'm hitting an important meeting or if I have a, an important conversation, I, I will practice. Like mm -hmm. I will, I will, go out and have the conversation with my uh, Skype. <laughs> I okay. can record it. I could hear it back. I could understand what it is. Um, sometimes when I, and I've had a couple of important conversations where I've wanted to make sure that I, my delivery was appropriate mm -hmm. and, and it was deliberate. But I certainly uh, am guilty of not preparing that way often. I, I don't deliberately speak often. Do you, oh, by the way, the other thing I would say is as a general rule of thumb, uh, especially if you're in a leader, leadership position is to speak a little lower, a little lower, maybe a little slower. I tend to speak really high. Swing, uh, so um, you know, my physiognomy is, is like that. But uh, if you can just lower it a little bit, go in the lower part of your range, that already begins to impart a certain amount of authority. And um, it also forces you to be a little slower, enunciate a little bit more. Um, do you like your voice when you hear it recorded? Oh, it's the worst thing ever. I don't know. I don't know how to hear it. It's, I'm, getting, I'm still getting used to it. After, after you know, seven years of listening to myself, I'm, I still don't like my voice. Yeah, I don't either. And part of it is because we don't hear ourselves. So it's the shock of like La Nuda Veritas. It's like when somebody confronts you about the way you really are, you're not hearing the voice you hear in your, in your head because of the way, again, we're structured. Um, opera singers, for example, don't hear themselves very rarely. Um, they, what they learn is to trust their techniques. So this voice is going to do what it has to do because they don't, they hear not a squeak, but they really don't hear anything uh, of their voice. Um, so you bring up a really another, a really good point, which is um, practicing. Um, and I think it's great that you have the presence of mind to go to Skype. I'm not, that's something I'm not good at. I get very self-conscious very quickly. Um, I've even tried recording it without Skype. And even then I just get self-conscious. I don't know why, um, but you don't seem to be. Oh, I'm totally self-conscious. Wait, no, no. I, I still, okay, okay. No, no, no. I am not. I am so not perfect. It's. I am very much work in progress, and that's why I'm doing it because I. I want to. I want to present cleaner and clearer. Uh -huh. and I want people to understand, and I realize. So, I do have a low voice to start. 
Yeah, and I do speak deliberately and slowly to start. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, you know, some I've been coached actually to say, okay, just pick up and show a little more enthusiasm. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. that's sort of the, you know, I'm finding the balance between Mm -hmm. authoritative, deliberate speaking and happy sales or, or I call it a happy sales tech, you know, right. like, I, I think of it exact, exactly the same time. I want to be the authoritative CEO or I want to be the mercurial, great, fun salesperson. It's hard right. in professional services, especially what we do to not be both. Uh, yeah, but, but you have to be. And then, and it's funny to hear the criticism that you have to pick up when you're, yeah, I don't know <laughs> when you're not. Well, I learned the picking up the energy actually by recording myself um, because I was doing a number of videos last year or the beginning of this year, but also, you know, when I'm leading groups now virtually, I discovered pretty quickly that my normal way of talking face to face on video or, or not so much podcast, but on video is too slow and doesn't, it's not energizing enough. So I actually say I bring about 120, 130% of my normal energy when uh, uh, I'm being viewed. Now, podcasts are something different, but when you're being viewed and when you're running a meeting, for example, you need to just be more energized than usual is what I've discovered. No, um, absolutely. Now, the other thing you brought up that was really interesting is the fact that you speak from the heart. And that actually is, is kind of where you want to be. Now, whether or not you practice good vocal technique is another thing, but if you speak from the heart, and if you can, if you know what that means, that's 90% of it right there. So are you able to tell when you go from like speaking in the head and actually just saying what you believe and speaking from the heart? Do you I tell had, the difference? Well, yeah, so I had this thing happen to me when, um, when I was, I, I had a, a, a webinar um, mm-hmm. that, there was a, a large turnout and mm-hmm. there was a tipping point in the presentation where I said, I'm just, I don't want to look at slides and I want to just say what I know the, the subject matter was. And then mm-hmm. it was authentic conversation that I started to have. And that's when I realized, oh my God, that makes more sense. That's the way you want to be. That's the way people connect with you. Mm-hmm. That's the communication technique that, that, that works favorably rather than trying to put a presentation together and follow any predetermined format. Mm-hmm. The truth is because we're professionals and we're working in this field and we were a lot of times saying the same things over and over again, we don't need to guide. We are mm-hmm. our guide. We're the ones right. that type to the slide to begin with. So, right. right. You don't need to, you don't need to do much to, in order to get the message across. And the more I, re, the more I realized that I was relying on the slide as a presentation oh. tool instead of my brain is where I said, okay, go right in, do it like you know it. And, and that was, uh, I agree a hundred percent, hundred percent. There was a point when I finished being a consultant because I was a strategy consultant. The whole point was to deliver a 300 page presentation where I literally couldn't speak in front of people. I had lost the ability to get up without notes, without, uh, and that doesn't mean extemporaneous impromptu, it means also it could be a prepared speech. I was so dependent on the crutch of having a presentation behind me. I mean, impossibly so. I, 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 I literally could not get in front of a group without the slides, it was that bad. Um, but the speaking from the heart, um, how easy is that in the three settings, speaking from the heart, one-to-one, 
in a group, in a meeting situation, and then in a social group setting where there's maybe noise and, you know, uh, it's not so linear. How do you find um, speaking from the heart in those situations? You know, I think it's the audience, right? So okay. when you see that someone's filtered, then you're not going to be as authentic and you're not going to, right? You're not going to come Excellent out. Point. Much. Um, so you, you're determining like when, when does that happen? And, and, and really, so the, the interesting part that I just want to go back to what you brought up before, which was in, in the three, is that when you're communicating, I realize that it's no longer rude to say, um, did you understand or can you repeat yourself? Or I didn't, I don't, I don't like, I don't mind saying, I don't understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. or, no. Please, can you say that again slower? Yeah. I, I can't hear there's noise in the background. Yeah. yeah. Or that's creating a space. You're creating yeah. space again, saying, I, I need some more space here. So, you know, I, I think I, I would, I would appreciate if that's done with me. And obviously when you have that symbiosis of being able to listen and learn and um, react, it, it, it works. Yeah. And you bring up inadvertently a good point there, which is people like yourself and others, you meet, I immediately get in lockstep. I mean, it's almost like you don't even have to think about it anymore, but that's not always the case, especially in, in the workplace in particular, where, there are, uh, depending on what your role is, people above you at your level and then teams that you're leading. And, um, you know, there are times when you have to be very direct uh, and there are times where you have to be very careful. Um, and then there are times when you really have to speak from the heart, uh, especially if you're in, a, I find in meetings, that's where it's the most important because often you have important messages that it's gonna affect whatever group you're talking to. And you need to grab them. The best way is to somehow find a way to talk from your heart. One to one, I find it a little scary, frankly, because speaking from the heart, sometimes you're not sure how they're going to react, even if you think you have the situation under control. Uh, and there are other times where literally you shouldn't speak from the heart. Um, you know, when you're letting somebody go, there are legal, so you need to be careful. Less is more. And the heart often wants to make people feel better, at least if you're a pleaser the way I am and you are. Um, but, um, but literally, what does it feel like? I know what it felt like with me at once. I was giving a presentation to a company, a consulting company that specialized in leadership development. And they were floundering a little in the market. And so I did a whole big strategy project for them. And I prepared the results as usual, very, very, very carefully. And it was about a 30-page deck. And we're getting towards the end. We were talking about the state of the workplace and employees and how people are feeling disenfranchised and not really loving work and how sad that is. And out of nowhere came this thing and it literally, I could feel it coming up out of the heart, literally like not throwing up, but I could literally feel the, the, the motion of the words, which is if there's one thing I'd like to achieve in this world, which is make people love their jobs a little bit more. And, I, and it was so into the conversation. It was just so, and, I, and it, I stopped and I looked around and you talk about being at one with the group that just solidified. I mean, everybody sort of looked at me and said, wow. Um, and it wasn't premeditated and it just, I could feel it coming out of my heart. Have you had any experiences like that? Um, well, yeah, uh, but it, so I, I think that I might be a little bit different than you and that the one-on-one -on -one for me is where that might come. Okay, right? I, I could see that, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, so when it's with a group, I'm less likely to, to, to uh, be as vulnerable, if you will, um, uh -huh. I, you know. For, but for sure, one-on-one, -on -one, I've, I've had the revelation of, uh, 
grabbing people where people will stop and say, you know, wow. You just, but it's, uh, it's different though. It's muted, I think. It's, it's more muted. Well, you know, you and I are pretty heady about stuff. And um, I find a one-to-ones, the wow aha effects often, first of all, I'm never entirely sure where I, I can't, I can't dramatize them as well. In other words, when you have a presentation particularly, you can build in the big moments of ahas. In a one-to-one -one conversation, especially when you're coaching, it's amazing big moments for my clients. I don't know at the moment that they're so big for them because as well as you know a client, you don't know if you're hitting a button or not. And they tend to be muted. It tends to be something where you're talking about something and you, well, maybe speak from the heart, but you know, in a meeting, it's, you know, it's, it's a bigger event because you're gesturing and, but I find they're, they're not so obvious, one, because you haven't prepared them, and two, by nature, you're not projecting. You're talking in a somewhat slow voice or a lower volume voice. But the, I, when, you, you know, when we're coaching or when we're at that one-on-one, -on -one, we're, we're usually deep into their business, sometimes their personal life. True. And we can say something. Usually asking a question because we're not mm -hmm. usually right. asking them a question and they'll and they'll come up with the answer and they'll say, Yeah, that was I got my value from you today. I've heard more than once, I've got my value from you today, which means whether it was an overt uh, expression of joy that I don't think I saw, but it was a reflection and a resounding, yeah, I think. Yeah, that that was worth that was worth you coming in and spending an hour with me today. Like that one thing. And I have said I've experienced that as a coachee, as a coach. And I was told when I became a coach, this could be a liability. Having been a consultant for so long, which is literally about telling, which is why I feel I'm a bit of an expert about talking, because that's what consultants, you know, uh, cynically said are paid for. Um, but. Um, I find often it's when I've leaned into them and I'm really hearing the story and I realize they're not there yet. Often, and I have a couple of exercises I do that will do the aha effect almost in every situation. That's when I say something and that's when the aha. Now I do get the aha when I ask questions, but I can, I can manufacture an aha if I'm really leaning into the person and know that there's something they have to understand. Um, meetings are different because you're not going to, have you ever been in a meeting, asked the group a question, gone silence? What's that? Have you ever been in a meeting situation and you're trying to engage them into the conversation, especially using Zoom, where you've asked a question and there's been deafening silence? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the the awkward pause, <laughs> and, and you know it's funny because I think I learned that the way you deal with the awkward pause is you say, "Oh, that was an awkward pause." <laughs> uh, I, so I, you know, I, hey, we fell, I fell flat. Okay, I got it. Um, uh -huh. I guess that didn't come across as I planned. <laughs> so I, it's not even being self-deprecating. It's basically acknowledging, okay, I didn't connect, and. Like, I don't like leaving it out there anymore for some reason. I, if, there's a, if there's an issue in communication, I want to acknowledge it so that we don't walk away um, with anything um, 
with any misunderstandings. Right. I always right. want, I want to be understood and I want people to understand, you know, I want to understand them. You know, that's the best way to do. There we have, go. That's, yeah, that's the, the second part, which is, or the third part, the empathy is, you know, we've talked about vocal technique. We've talked about reading whether or not somebody's getting it, choosing our language, speaking from the heart so that they understand. But then this being at, at one with them um, and uh, the, danger of not connecting on that level. Um, and again, part of it is observing them, knowing them. Um, but I find a lot of, you know, and it depends on the situation, but if it's a, somebody you've worked with a long time and over or and or, you know, know very well, obviously your spouse, children, um, family and so forth, but you know, you should know where the buttons are. And I think there are some universal buttons that you can pretty much know how the audience is going to react. Uh, on certain ways of speaking. Um, yeah, so that's my take on it. But um, this has been great as always. Um, we even hit some interesting other points about communication through writing. I think uh, I can safely say both of us learn something every time we talk. Absolutely. It's been absolute pleasure and it was, it was a lot to learn and it's actually things to put to practice, not only to you know learn right. it, but use it. It's, Take the knowledge and, and put it to practice. Thank you. And bring it to our, our clients, to our coaches, too. Take, take what we're learning and then apply it and help our, you know, the, I find everything I learn, if it's really, uh, really useful, I always incorporate it then into to my coaching as a point that I'd like them to understand at some point. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much.